We're going to read from Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to read from verse 3 and then read the rest of the chapter. If you've got one of the Pew Bibles, it's page 1173, 1173, Ephesians chapter 1 from verse 3. That's page 1173, Ephesians chapter 1. This is God's Word. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Last Sunday morning, I was preaching in High Street in Hollywood, and they told me they had been running a book on whether the children's address would be about fishing boats or not. And they were terribly disappointed because I didn't do it about fishing boats. But as you know, I have two sort of 
things in which to hang all my thinking. There's the boats and the bikes. And that's where I want to start tonight because the Thursday uh, of Ulster Grand Prix la week last year, uh, Edwin Ewart and I, as usual, were sorting the world out over breakfast. And I said to Edwin, Edwin, I had a real problem this morning. What? He said. And I said, I was struggling how to pray. What do you mean? He said, I said, I didn't know what to say to God. And he looked at me and he said, join the club. Now, Edwin's the principal of the Baptist College, so he should know the answers. But he said, brother, I'm so glad to hear you saying that, because he said, it is such, a, it is such an awesome responsibility to pray, isn't it? And therefore, I would never, I'm not here tonight to discourage you from praying. But what I want to do is to try and encourage you, and really, it would take more than half an hour to do this. I've spent five weeks with one church doing this, and whenever the five weeks done, I said, we haven't even started. Because if you're a Christian tonight, you'll know that prayer is something really beyond the understanding of human, uh, humanity. I was reading a Christian home, taught to pray from when I was a wee boy, taught to say my prayers. And I think that's how many of us live. We say our prayers because it has become a matter of habit. And uh, as many of you know, I didn't become a, I didn't really claim my inheritance until I was 26. But I never went to bed any night when I didn't say my prayers. And if you're not in the half two in the morning and you're getting up at seven o'clock to go to your works, you go to your work, it's amazing how quickly you can say your prayer, which was our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be. It was even quicker than that because my tongue was much looser in those days. And you could say your prayer and hop onto bed because you had done your duty. And that sadly is for some people what we do. You're a Christian, now you have to have your quiet time. Now you have to pray. And I was part of that. Uh, and uh, I didn't bother. I mean, whenever I came to fifth, I didn't go to the prayer meeting. My mother and sister, they went because they were much older than me. And, and I was doing far more exciting things than praying. And I didn't bother going until 1982. I set off with a fella from uh, Moira. You know, he lives in Moira to visit Aberdeen. And uh, that's where I fell in with that man called William Still, who was very damaging to my health uh, over the years. I had a lovely, comfortable life being the star uh, turn lay preacher, singer, and pastures green, all the things around the country. And this guy just blew my world apart. Or at least the, the Lord uh, used him to draw it, you know. And I remember we went on the Saturday night to the prayer meeting. Seven o'clock to nine o'clock, I think, wasn't it, uh, Nigel? And that, it was an experience. I sat that night just awestruck as I listened to the praying. But it was the next morning that something really happened. Mr. Still wandered in as he did at a wee yarn with a few people, wandered back out and came in and, and preachers mode and uh, began on a normal good morning. Nobody answered, you didn't dare. Um, because he, he had people, people were so scared. This is just a wee digression. One of the things that we were told about him was if anybody, if you coughed or sneezed during his sermon, he was liable to scold you. And one of the first Sundays I was there, I heard this 
and from around my feet, and I thought this sounds to come from my feet, and I glimpsed all around, I could see nobody. Uh, nobody was asleep or anything, but this snoring was going on and on and on. And finally I looked down and around my feet, it was a golden Labrador. <laughs> it was Benny, you remember Benny? It was Benny's dog, Benny was blind. And Benny's dog could do anything that didn't annoy him. But here was the thing, that first morning, he would then say Psalm 84 to the tune 76. That's maybe not right, but imagine it is. And we would sing the psalm, and as you came towards the end of the psalm, there was a sense of anticipation came over that meeting. And the, 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 the arms went over, let us pray, dear Lord. And don't laugh when I say this. I literally glimpsed around to see when he had arrived. Because I had never heard prayer like this before. And my brothers and sisters, that's the crying need for our society today. Because here was a man who was not simply saying a prayer. Here was a man who was praying. And I think that he had learned a fair bit from this guy, Paul, that we read about about now and then in the Bible. Because I think this introduction to Ephesians, if you have your Bibles and look at it, I think you'll see something fascinating. We're not going to work our way through this passage tonight, but simply to, 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 to see the format of it. You'll know that verses 3 to 14 is the longest verse in the New Testament in the Greek. It's all one sentence. And it seems as if Paul starts to, to write and he just, he just is drawn under the enormity of what the gospel is. And he, he, he writes his whole way through this. And then, of course, he didn't have any verses or, 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 or notes at the top. And he says, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus, and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. Now, some of the scholars argue that in actual fact, it's because he has, what he has heard. Others agree with me and Nigel, so they must be right. That in actual fact, it's for this reason. It says he thinks about this gospel, that this man really begins to pray. And at the very outset, I could say that tonight and sit down and say to you, that's all you need to know, is get to see the gospel, and then you'll pray. And the problem that I find around as I go to so many places today is that people have such a small understanding of the gospel that it means we pray very small prayers. Now, some of you are immediately saying, well, he's having a go at me already. He's here to make me feel bad tonight. Folks, that's the last thing in the world. If I, was, if I send any of you away feeling bad tonight, I have to be corrected about that. Because what I want to see is the people of God let loose to pray as God wants us to pray. Tomorrow, <clears throat> tomorrow some of my friends will be heading off to, uh, to Creef for the conference. And very self-righteously, I'm not going. And the reason is, well, the real reason is it's far too expensive. That's a good Presbyterian attitude, isn't it? That's not the reason at all. <laughs> There's a secondary reason, that is that Stone Carson's coming. He's coming to do the Irish Men's Convention uh, very shortly, so we'll hear him over here much cheaper. But the real reason is it's our week of prayer in White Albany, and I want to be there. Because God's doing something amongst our people 
I don't know what it is. I guess our minister hasn't a body either, <clears throat> and we're terribly glad, because we would be trying to control it. We're wanting to see what God is doing in our midst. And it's as these people get hold of the gospel, as Paul did, that they're beginning to pray in ways that they have never experienced before. And I think we need to be doing that more and more and more as the Holy Spirit grips us and excites us about the potential there is for us as the failures of this world. Because I stand like you, I'm like Paul, who wrote about coming to the Corinthian church in much weakness. And all of us are exactly the same. Sadly, for many of us who are older, we grew up in the day of, you know, building a reputation as a Christian. And some people got a great reputation, and he's a great prayer warrior. And I was telling the folks earlier, some of them, about one of these prayer warriors that I came across during my assistantship. I was sent to a vacant congregation to lead the prayer meeting, and they said to me, oh, there's a man, there's a man comes here, and boy, you, you hear him praying. And I heard him praying all right. God also heard him praying, and everybody else in half the country heard him because he waited until the opportune time. And then he got up and he performed. Now, I hope I'm not being, I'm not, I hope I'm not being judgmental in saying this. And he stood and he banged his fist and he shouted at God. It was the first time I realized that God was deaf. But, but you know, and, and I thought some, and people were saying to me afterwards, it's not wonderful. I said, no. And you could see him looking at him and saying, well, this boy's a bigger heretic than we thought he was. Because, you see, we, we grew up with that reputation. People build themselves a reputation. It's a great prayer, you know. And I grew up, and some of you are my age, remember, you hear the great battles of some of these great prayer warriors. They would pray all night. That wouldn't happen to me. I would fall asleep. But it's, it's getting this whole understanding of what prayer is about. And it's this launch pad where we're coming from. Not where we're going to, but it's where we're we coming from. That here's a God who has chosen us, He has redeemed us, He has adopted us, and made us His children. And He wants to hear from us. You got that? You're sitting here tonight, you have done yourself down, and the devil has put the bit into you for years. And He has said to you, Who do you think you are to pray? The devil has held you in, 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 in your prison. And hopefully, as you listen to this, and as you listen to the word being preached here Sunday by Sunday, God will liberate you to enjoy the fellowship that is possible with him. Do you enjoy your God? Because that's what he tells us to do. And whenever those guys wrote the, conf wrote the, the catechism, <laughs> what was the first question? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him. And you tell me tonight afterwards, some of you, have you lived for too long believing you, that you couldn't enjoy God? Well, it's all right for Nigel. It's all right for some of the elders. It's all right for some of the other boys. But I'm only poor Joe, so how would God enjoy hearing from me? Well, let's look tonight at really six facets of prayer. And I use that word facets carefully because, as you know, that's a word that's used of a diamond, the different faces of a diamond, that when you hold it up to the light, you only see some aspects of it. And I want you to be clear to use Steve Brown's words that I'm only a beggar telling all their beggars where to find bread. 
and that all of us are in the same boat. And what I've done tonight is just take word, one word. We're going to play tennis elbow foot. And there are, so, there are six words that I want to, to, to leave with you tonight. That if you're a note taker, then you can take down. It won't wear you out writing them down. The first word is this word glorify. And we've already hinted at it. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean in great flowing terms, describing God as he is? Is it like using an Anglican prayer book? Because the Anglican prayer book, have you got one? You should buy one because their prayers are wonderful. And we should be buying prayer books and reading them. The Valley of Vision. Many of you have one? And we should, but you see, the, the problem is that sometimes even they can put us off because they think, well, I couldn't pray that way. You don't have to. You pray the way that God guides you because to use, to go back to Mr. Still again, what was the early part of that prayer meeting that really just enthralled us? It was half an hour when you told God what you think of him. And that's what glorifying him is. It is in your innocent words and doing it in different ways. One of the ways that we have experimented in different places around the country is praying three word prayers. And you give the people the first two words, which are you are, and the third word you put in. I went to one church in Donegal uh, to do a seminar, they called it. And uh, we, we met on a, on a Tuesday morning. It's a farming community. There were 16 turned up, so that was wonderful. And uh, the minister said to me, you'll find a lot of our people don't pray. And at the end of that morning, he said to me, it's just those people were praying this morning. And I said, yes, because we give them, we give them voice. You are good. You are. And I learned this, you see, from children, from teaching. Because children were, were, were great. Whenever you did them, you are prayers with them. You could, they could go on all day. And you could, it became really a competition, as prayer can sometimes become. But words that, words that you can use to talk about this God. And, uh, or using, as I say, I've already hinted at, uh, buying. But some of, these pray, some of the books of the saints are really hard to understand. What are they saying? Because the language can be, it can be old-fashioned. Well, we did that. We, we, we counteracted that in Westkirk when I was there. We wrote our own prayer book. The target session and I sat down, took the Psalms and wrote our own prayers and used those to give voice to some people. And, and that was, that t- for some of those people to hear their own voices, and that can be wonderful. Bally Keel, we were doing this, and this was, I, I laughed. The first night we did it, the target session and another elder were there, and as soon as it came to the time for prayer, the two of them prayed. And they prayed so long, there was no time left for anybody else to pray. Now, are you listening? If you're a prayer warrior, they prayed so long, nobody else had the time to pray. So I thought we'd counteract that next week. So I wrote out 12 prayers, two, three sentences, and said to them, look, we'll, we'll use these. And I said, and wait, and Westkirk, we found that the problem was that some people thought they had to be spirit-led as to which prayer to pray. I said, let's just be very ordinary plunkers. Let's pray our way the whole way down the list. And there was a lady at this end, before I had finished talking, she was straight in. And the lady beside her prayed, and the lady beside her prayed, and they just prayed right down the row. Three of them came to me at the end of that and said, Noel, that's the first time I ever prayed in public. I said, why did you pray? She said, because the woman beside me prayed. But you see, the following week, the same people prayed. Because, you see, hearing their own voice and realizing that 
by, sim by, by praying simply as they were going to do, God was taking delight in hearing from them. And so we need to see this, and we need to see, as I say, that they are blessing God for being, as Paul says there, for being the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let the enormity of that sink into you as you go to prayer tonight. I am having an audience with the King of Kings. I'm in the presence of absolute glory. And he's focusing on me. Now, this is a wee funny one. Eric Alexander, his name you will know, said this one night. He said, I look at that uh, period in, in Revelation where there's a period of silence. And he says, sometimes I think to myself, what's happening in heaven is God saying, all the choirs are singing and all the praise is going on. He said, shh, shh, there's a wee saint down there praying and I don't want to miss one word they're saying. And that sounds banal to some of us. But maybe that's what you need to take hold of tonight, that God wants to hear from you. And God delights in hearing from you because it's in hearing from you that you're glorifying because prayer really is our confessed helplessness. That's what prayer is. It's stripping away the veneer of what we can do. I, I don't know who it was I heard saying this. Don't, prayer, prayer, don't pray prayers for which you're already the answer. Vent your out beyond that and experience what God is doing. Glorify is the first word. Second word is unify. Now, this is the important one. Acts 2 and 42, you'll know, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now, you see this, the significance of that. It is the same list. So prayer is uh, set along with apostles' teaching and in the fellowship. Every one of those aspects is vitally important. We pay so much attention sometimes to the teaching. And we're strong in our teaching. Uh, and that's important. That's vitally important. But it must not be at the expense of the fellowship. And it must not be at the expense of the prayer. Because it's God's people praying together that really is vital. I've just finished reading a book, Two Centuries of Revival in Scotland, by a guy called Tom Lenny. It's been such an education. And what is it, what's the, the theme that recurs over and over again? Two words, that go, two words that go together, revival and prayer. Because people pray for revival, and then the revival creates more prayer. And it becomes, it becomes something that grows, and it's like the snowball rolling down the hill. And people get hold of it, and, 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 and they, really, they really get hold of it. We have, many of us, forgotten uh, the teaching in Hebrews 10 and 25. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. My brothers and sisters, I find that there is nowhere that I go home more encouraged. I don't know if this is Nigel's experience, but I can think back to certain people and during my ministry that I heard praying for the first time. And I drove the car home that night. It's a wonder I didn't get caught for speeding around. I don't know what I was doing because it was beside myself with excitement. I think of Ina Madden that I've mentioned to you before. We woman who came to church on Sunday, and then she started to appear on a Sunday night, and one night she said to me, it's all right for me to come to the prayer meeting. And I said, what do you mean? She said, I didn't think the prayer meeting was for people like me. 
And I said, oh, you know, the prayer meetings for people like you. And she came, and the first night that wee woman prayed, boys, I sat, you can see it, you can see it yet even. It, it, there was just something, that, that, this is special. She wasn't one of the great prayer warriors. She didn't have a great reputation in Westgirt. But I think God's heart throbbed along with mine that night as Ina prayed. And we need to get hold of this, my brothers and sisters, again. And, and, and let God do what he wants. Because as Paul says in, in, in Ephesians 3 and 18, there's the second prayer in Ephesians. He says it's together with all the saints. And people uh, in, in 2 Corinthians uh, 1 and 11, uh, where he's speaking uh, uh, of whom, uh, people to whom he'd written in severe terms earlier, he says, as you help us, by your prayers and the prayers of many. Now, we're going to come back to that at the end because I have a quote that I want to read to you that I discovered on Friday. But it is so important that we're in this together and that all of us see, not first of all our responsibility, but to see our privilege. You have never prayed before in public because you're worried about what sweet city sitting beside you. She's been out for years and you couldn't pray like her. Well, shame on her if she would ever feel that she was superior to you. And it's this getting hold of this and, and, and understanding that we're in it together. Sometimes in, in White Abbey, people justify to, to me and to Angus, I know that, oh, we pray a lot on our own. But folks, you see the people that I hear talking about praying on their own, I think there's some of the most selfish Christians, and this is very judgmental to say this, but some of them are the most selfish Christians in our church because they are people who are focused on doing it their way. The minister preaches too long. If they only did this, if they only did that, oh, but we're praying on our own, you know. What are you praying for? We need to be asking that. But you see, when you get together and you realize you are beggars and a mission, uh, sharing together. There's something precious about it. And if you've never been to the prayer meeting, I'm hoping, brother, your place will be packed out this Wednesday night coming. And if it's not, I may as well go and sit down now and shut up. Because if we do not respond in this day and age in which we live, then we, we, we're, we're, we're going to see decline continuing on and on and on. You don't realize, my brothers and sisters, how tragic and how desperate the situation is around the country for a lot of churches. Ten years. If God doesn't turn the tide around, there'll be a lot of churches gone. North Belfast. North Belfast, we already have lost one. We have, in fact, we've now lost two just recently. There's another one teetering on the edge, and there's another one not far behind it. And what we're trying to do in our presbytery is say to the people, look, we have a responsibility as the people of God here to pray that God will come and move. And it's the same in our land. Do you despair about Stormont? I do. Do you despair about Donald Trump? Well, I just laugh at him at times, but, that's, but he's no laughing matter. Do you, do you, worry, about, do you worry about Kim Jong-un? Do you worry about Vladimir Putin? Well, yes and no, because these guys are just like Nebuchadnezzar. They're the king's servants, and they're involved 
And whenever you're praying together, then you begin to let loose a force that they know nothing about. And we need to get that in our minds. Glorify, unify, justify. Because confidence in our prayer life comes when we recognize that in our weakness and failure, it's our Father's provision on which we're depending. Notice what Paul says in Ephesians 3 and 14, if you have your Bibles there. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being. Don Carson, whose name I mentioned earlier, says this, the complete salvation of his people turns on the efficacy of his perpetual intercession, and the efficacy of the perpetual intercession turns on the once for all sacrifice that he has offered and in his own everlasting life. And so the excuses that so many of us are good at making, I'm not good enough, I've never done this before, you don't know what I'm like, blah, blah, blah. They're, they're, all, they're, all, um, they're, they're all just excuses that we're using and refusing to respond to God's call. Justify. We are justified by God's declaration on our behalf. And that's the way we pray. And that's the counter to the devil when he says to you, who do you think you are to pray? Does he ever say that to you? I'm going to, I mean, put your hands up if the devil has ever said to you, who do you think you are to pray? Yeah, a whole lot of us is not true. Well, you know what you say to him? You're a liar. Because my father wants to hear from me. And I'm going to talk to him. And I don't know what to say. I always think back to one night in a BB camp at uh, somewhere along the side of the River Clyde. I can't remember where it was now. Uh, it was one of those places we always went to. And uh, we had a bunch of great young fellas going to camp. A lot of them became Christians at camp. And so we used to have a prayer meeting at 10 o'clock. But we also had a rule that at 11 o'clock it lights out for 10 minutes, the people were quiet. So that the boys wanted an opportunity to pray. And I remember was, we were in duty one night wandering around and this young guy prayed for the first time in his life. And it was a disaster, humanly speaking. And his mate lying beside him told him so when he finished. And it just so happened that I was standing with my foot there and his bottom was there because I could see it against the tent. And I lifted my hand, just, just, just gave him a whack up the, up the rear end of my toe and I said, that's a great prayer. You didn't pray at all, did you? And there was a sort of stunned silence in the tent because they didn't know we were outside. But, but, but you see the point that I make? You see the point that I make? And get hold of it. Because you see, this is the fourth thing. There's this word sanctify. Our prayer is made holy. But as Paul says in Romans 8 and 34, by Christ who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. You're not doing terribly well in your prayer life. Who's in it with you? Your Savior. It's not good news. And of course, it doesn't stop there. Because Romans 8, 26 and 27 read this, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. 
Whenever you pray, you see the devil saying to you, you're on your own, aren't you? You say, no, devil, excuse me. I'm part of a real good front row here because I have two partners in this and they're both interceding for me. And it's, it's, God's, it's, God's, it's God's work that, just, that makes our prayers good because all prayer made to him, how imperfect, no matter how imperfect it seems, in your eyes and mine, it's good, good prayer. Of course, the need, uh, there's two things with which we finish. And the first one is this, specify. And we need to get the real principle of prayer here. Uh, uh, and Nigel used it in his opening prayer. He didn't know what I was going to be saying tonight. But at 17th verse of chapter 1 of Ephesians, if you look at it, what is Paul praying for? In light of this blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who does all these things, Paul's prayer is it so that you may know him better. Brothers and sisters, we in the Reformed faith sometimes become rather, rather cardboard cutouts in our style. But we need to realize this, is that what we're brought into by the gospel is the privilege of knowing this God of ours and being able to come to him and call him our daddy. And he's waiting, willing, many of us, to take the opportunity that is there for us. Notice what Paul asks for. It's not some vague thing. Because sometimes that can be my problem in prayer. It can be too vague. Paul asks for three things. That they know the hope to which they've been called. See that? And you see this becomes sightly at the end because as we understand the hope that we have in Christ, then we get bold in our prayers. Then secondly, the rich, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. There's been a fair wee bit of talk over the last couple of days about that man and woman in Moira. And I can't claim there are any relations of mine. I've been looking feverishly, but nothing doing. I mean, I played rugby for Limavadi, so they might want to make Limavadi Rugby Club rich. Or if Albert's here, maybe Lurgan Rugby Club rich as well. But, but you see the point? You and I are richer than that woman ever will be. Because we have, we have a God whose inheritance is not dependent on the state of the stock exchange or whether there's Brexit or no Brexit. This is the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. This is the, guy, this is the God who made it all and therefore it is all his. And of course, there's the third point. And get hold of this. this one, the other two are sort of minor. Here's the one that's really the big one, the power that's provided for us. Oh, I'm only a weak. You know, I, I grew up hearing testimonies. Oh, I, I'm, only a, I'm only a poor sinner. And I listened to prayers of people beating their breasts and bemoaning their sinfulness. And they hadn't taken God at his word. They didn't realize their sins were gone. But look here, the power that's provided us. What sort of power is available to us as we pray? But look at verse 20. The same power as raised Christ from the dead. You get that? You get that? When you're praying, it's not some second-hand thing that's handed down to you. It is the same power as that which raised Christ from the dead. God forgive us 
that our prayers are so frail and small. And I hope that, and we're, we're not going to go out of here tonight bouncing on the top of the world, because many of us are of different situations. But hopefully we're going to go with a, a difference, some of us. And I'm, not, I'm not saying, there are churches that I wouldn't say this in because they wouldn't understand it. But you're hearing this Sunday after Sunday after Sunday from different sources. And you've heard it, many of you, over the years from different, I was standing looking at the photographs right there in the minister's room and I thought, boy, did you're, Nigel, you're falling on a long line. Men who have been introducing you to this wonder of the gospel. I will never, as long as I live, forget John Gerva. There was no man that I ever met, including Mr. Still, who ever warmed my heart the way that man did. And you people, that was your inheritance in human terms. And that's the responsibility, therefore, that rests on your shoulders. But you do it in the power that comes from God. And of course, here's the final point. Satisfy. It's part of the process by which we grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, is that that love that surpasses knowledge and we are to be filled with the fullness of God. Brothers and sisters, for too long, many of us have lived in scraps. Many of us have lived in scraps. And what I'm challenging you tonight is this, is to get hold of what we're trying to talk about tonight here and to, lay, and, and to move out into the adventure that prayer is. And let me finish with this. I read this on Friday. This is written by a guy called Phil Moore. He's the pastor of the Everyday Church in London. Some people are so used to writing themselves off as nobodies in God's global mission that they struggle to accept what Paul teaches us here. They even have scripture verses to downplay the power of their own simple prayers. It is the prayer of a righteous person which God hears, as James 5 and 16 tells us, they argue, while the prayers of the sinful are hindered in 1 Peter 3 and 7. They concede that perhaps an elite group of prayer warriors might somehow change world history without ever leaving home. But they argue that they themselves have no such powers of intercession. Just stop for a moment and consider that argument. This was the Corinthians who were the prayer partners in Paul's breakthrough at Ephesus. But here I describes them. The arrogant, sin-riddled, sexually immoral, lawsuit-happy, resurrection-denying hypocrites at Corinth. It's as if God chose the worst group of Christians in the pages of the New Testament so that none of us will exclude ourselves from applying this lesson to our own role in his mission. God even, or Paul even uses the Greek word charisma or gracious favor to describe God's answer to their prayers. In verse 11, God did not answer your prayers because of their own righteousness, but because they were counted us righteous through faith in Jesus. So says Phil, let's pray. Let's pray on our own, and let's pray with others. If there are prayer meetings at our churches, let's be there to pray at them. And if there are no prayer meeting, let's pray all the more at home. Let's pray because God's mission to, is just as real for those who stay and pray as it is for those 
who can go and get the glory. Let's pray because of a lady in her 60s who met a woman from a people group in Thailand whom God had saved through her prayers in an English village. Let's pray because God wants more helpers in his mission. And if you haven't got one, that had, if you haven't got one then no passport is required. It's not good news. Scary, if many of us were honest, because it's, t- it's going to take us into unknown territory. And my brothers and sisters, let me tell you tonight, if you pray, there'll be many tonight that'll be terrified because you become aware that you're praying to somebody who just knows not operating the same scale as we do, but who wants us to be involved in that and who loves to hear us in our weakness and our failure coming to him and handing over. Prayer is confessed weakness. Let's pray together.